reading again this morning from our passage of considerations these days. And reading this morning only, in Judges chapter 11, only the latter part, verse 34, where we left off, more or less, on last week, verse 34 through 40. Judges 11, verse 34 through 40. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, and I would have you to note there in your King James Bible that the word if is supplied by the translators, and I do not approve of the supply. It was not in the original, and it reads better without it. She said unto him, My father, thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord. Do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. She said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months, she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days a year. Turn with me, if you will. Get in your hymn book and stand with me. Turn to page 478. Lord, how secure my conscience was. And felt no inward dread. I was alive without the law and thought my sins were dead. My hopes of heaven were firm and Right, but since the precept came with such convincing power and light, I find how by 
I killed a bear, but small before, till I with terror saw how perfect, holy, just and pure is thy eternal then felt my soul the heavy load my sins revived again i had provoked a dreadful god and all my hopes were slain my God, I cry with every breath. Exert thy power to save. Oh, break the yoke of sin and death, and thus redeem the slave. Thank you. Seated. From paradise to Gehenna in one unguarded moment. From last week I had begun to attempt to take hold again of this record of the judges who ruled in the life of old Israel and to take up this portion of that record here in chapter 11 and those final verses, verse 29 through 40 and to take up again that what I found one commentator to call that incident-filled life of Jephthah. Indeed, incident-filled life. I had set about to take up this portion of these records only by attempting to read the, a reading of the narrative so as to set clearly before our minds exactly what it is that our God has recorded here for our learning. While I confess it is difficult for me to resist making some applications along the way, it was, in fact, my design at first only to set before our minds the details of the record. In keeping with that plan, on last week I had traversed this text, this passage, only as far as verse 35. In that Preliminary verses, those preliminary verses, we saw only briefly the great tragedy unfolding. We saw the shock and horror, the pain and sorrow, the disgrace and despair, the shame and regret in this chosen servant of Jehovah, Jephthah. We saw all of that when in one glance, as we read it again this morning, we saw in one glance 
Jephthah plummeted down from the lofty heights of a victorious paradise down to the sulfurous flames of Gehenna's sorrow in that verse. And it came to pass when he saw her. Plummeted, I said, down from the lofty heights of a victorious paradise, which he found himself on that day, down to the flames of Gehenna's sorrows. And all summarized in that brief testimony that he gave to her at the end of verse 35, when he said, I cannot. Go back. Oh, if I could but go back. But I cannot go back. Oh, yes. Here in this cry of anguish from a soul engulfed in distress is a description most graphic. Jephthah calls, in verse 35, Jephthah calls this darling child, this most precious child of his, this daughter, he calls her one of them that troubles. The blessed Dr. Gill said that Jephthah here declares her to be among his troublers, and not just among them, but the greatest of them he ever met with. Says Gil, he had been in trouble from his brethren when they drove him from his father's home. and He had trouble with the children of Ammon to subdue them. But this was the greatest trouble of all that his daughter should be the first that should meet him, of whom according to his vow he was to be deprived. And so all his future comforts, future hopes, future expectations from her are now gone. Therefore ranks her among, indeed not only among, but at the head of all his troublers. Oh, what a sorrow grips his soul now as Jephthah exchanges in a moment the robes of victory for the rags of sorrow. And oh, how quickly it happened. How quickly it happened. But then we come now today to verse 36. And while we hear in Jephthah's voice in verse 35 in the latter part, we hear it sounds to me almost an argument to convince his daughter of what he must do. Oh, he says, you brought me low. You broke my heart. But I've opened my mouth and I can't go back. It sounds to me almost as if he would bring to her the argument for why he must do what he is about to do. But then in verse 36, we find out that no such argument was needed. <laughs> and she said unto him, My father, <laughs> thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord. Do unto me. Do unto me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. Oh, I said he found very readily that there was no argument needed. There was no convincing needed. Such is her standing before her God. 
Such is her honor to her father. Such is her selfless patriotism to her nation. Such is her sheer force of character that no argument is needed. No explanation is requested. No weakness is revealed. No hesitation is demonstrated. No, she says, I'm ready. Do what you've committed to the Lord, Father. Oh, could I just say, glory, the glory, the glory, the God-honoring glory of this young maiden. Hers is a pattern worthy of eternal imitation. Oh, young women, Young women of every generation, could I charge you, here is a heroine worthy of your consideration. Hers was not a place of scrutiny, examining her father and passing an independent judgment on his choices. She said herself, not to examine matters outside the reach of her own authority. No, but with a meek and submissive spirit, she vows in pious readiness to give her all, to sacrifice her all, to submit herself utterly to her Father and to her God. Again, Gill said, Gill said of this young woman's testimony, such was her public spirit and the grateful sense she had of the divine goodness in giving victory over Israel's enemies and delivering them from them with vengeance on them. She cared not what was done to her. Yea, she desired that what was vowed might be performed. Hallelujah. Oh, may the gracious Lord of the church bless us again with such women as this one. Bush said, how can it be supposed that a youthful maiden should have had clear views of the import of the divine law on such a subject when her father's mind was enveloped in such darkness. Her generous self-devotion, therefore, is still entitled to our highest commendation. Her involuntary ignorance excuses her infirmity. And if she believed when she uttered these words, that she was to be put to death, neither Greece nor Rome with all of their heroes and heroines can furnish an instance of sublimer self-sacrifice than this of this humble maid in Israel. Oh, bless the Lord. May God give us girls so formed in their character as was this young man. What trifles in our day is passed off for sacrifice? What self-pleasing delusions are denominated as character in modern womanhood? Oh, that sacred model, that sacred model given to us in Proverbs chapter 31 is all but lost to our view in our modern culture. Yea, in our modern churches. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 31, I ask you, I would ask you several questions this morning. In the light of the testimony of Jephthah's daughter, his only daughter, his only child, when she stood and testified without delay and without questioning, 
Father, do what you've committed to the Lord to do. I'm ready. I would ask you in the light of Proverbs chapter 31. In our modern culture, where do we find, where do we find young women in whose heart her husband doth safely trust? Verse 11. Hmm. So much I could say there, but I'll let the Holy Spirit do the preaching. Her husband's heart doth safely trust in her. Where do we find such a maiden? Where do we find such a maiden that in verse 13 will do him good and not evil all the days of her life? Of her life. Not his life. Her life. No matter how long he lives or doesn't live, she'll do him good all the days of her life as long as God gives her life. She'll do him good. Hallelujah. Where do we find maidens like that? Verse 12, I'm sorry. Like I said, verse 13 is verse 12. I ask you this morning again, where do we find maidens in verse 13 that'll seek wool and work willingly with her hands? Did you notice she goes out and seeks wool and flax? You know what so many in this generation say? I got enough. I got too much to do for myself. I don't need to be, hey, hey, this virtuous woman, she went out and found work to do. She went out and found more things to work with. She went out and brought them into the home. Where do we find women that'll do that today? Verse 14, where do we find women that will bring food from afar? Brings food from afar. And labors, listen to me, tirelessly look at verse 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Verse 20. She stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hand to the needy. She's laboring constantly. Verse 19. She lays her hand to the distaff. And her hand holds the dist to the spindle. And her hands hold the distaff. She's laboring constantly. Tirelessly. Constantly. <laughs> Where do we find young maidens like that? Laboring tirelessly. Where do we find young maidens, verse 8, verse 15, who go sleepless? Not for her own needs, but for her household. Verse 15. She riseth also while it's yet night, giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She will sacrifice sleep for them. Verse 18. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Listen now. Her candle goeth not out by night. I don't remember. That's what I tell folks who ask me about my wife. I don't remember when she ever slept. I never saw her sleep. She labored after I went to bed and was laboring when I got up. I don't know when she slept. I don't know, but it couldn't be much. Because of what was accomplished while I slept. 
her candle goeth not out by night. Where do we find maidens like that today? Verse 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. I cannot I apologize, but I cannot help but make personal references because it's my only point of reference. I couldn't tell you when my daughter was growing up, I couldn't tell you how many times I heard these words coming out of my wife's mouth to my daughter. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I couldn't tell you how many times I heard it. What was she doing? She's trying to instruct her in being a virtuous woman. Her candle won't go out. Her hands are at the spindle. She's busy. She's busy. She's busy. She's never idle. No time for idleness. Where do we find women like that? Now, where do we find women who educate herself to venture his capital to their advantage. Look at verse 16, 17. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. Look in that verse, in that first verse, in that 16th verse, she considers a field and buys it. You know what she's doing? She's venturing his capital for their gain. Amen. She's venturing his capital for their gain. Where do we find young maidens like that? Where do we find young maidens in verse 21 and 22 that bring beauty into the home for no other reason than for its innate goodness. Beauty. Verse 21. For all her household are clothed, listen, verse 21, clothed with scarlet. If you'll note the marginal reading, they're clothed with double garments. Verse 22. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. You say, I don't don't want my wife dressed gaudy. No, this is just teaching us that she has an eye for beauty. She brings into the home beauty for no other reason than the fact that it's beautiful. She teaches her children to appreciate beauty. Where do we find Maidens like that today. Beauty. Just because of the innate goodness of its beauty. I remember a time in the country where I grew up, you could go into any lady's home, any home in the community, any day of the week, they'd be fresh flowers. Somewhere. What are they doing here? The yard's full of flowers. Oh, she brings them into the house. Why? Set them apart to admire their beauty. Why? Because they're beautiful. (laughs) Because beauty is good. God created it. Where do we find women with that kind of spirit today? It's, It's this virtuous woman. Where do we find a woman who makes it her business? No, more than her business. She makes it her life calling to make her husband known in the streets for his virtue. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She makes it her life calling to make sure that he is recognized for his worth. My goodness, what a woman. Makes it her life calling to make her husband, her father, 
known in the streets for his value. Oh, listen, verse 25. She's clothed, verse 25. She's clothed not with the fashions of the latest hour in the fashions of the world, but she's clothed with strength and with honor. Verse 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. She should be praised because in verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. She's not interested in the fad of the world, the latest thing. I heard, and I won't call any names. I've had enough to say personally. I won't call any names. But I was with some friends recently. A gentleman and his wife had been married 62 years. And the topic at the table became clothing. And different ladies were talking about, well, I like to wear so-and-so. It's comfortable, it stretches. Another one said, I like to wear so-and-so. It's thin. And it got to one lady in 62 years they've been married. You know what she said? She said, I just wear what pleases him. After 62 years, her only still him. What he likes, what he wants. That's all she cared about. I had to step away from the table. Oh, God, give us women again. Whose taste in fashion is to be clothed with strength and honor. Hmm. Where can we find women who are open her mouth? Verse 26, she opens her mouth and wisdom pours out like falling water from a mountain cliff. Look at verse 25. They should, verse 26, she opened her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is a law of kindness. Where are we going to find young maidens that when they open their mouth, wisdom pours out? Hmm. Whoa! But verse 30 again, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be. Hallelujah. Give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Such, at least of such character, was the daughter of Jephthah. She said, Father, my father, verse 26, 36, my father, Thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord. Do to me. According to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. Hmm. But wait. She has only one reasonable request. And yet, reasonable as it was, even that is cast in the language of humility. Verse 20, 37, she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. She's asking. She's not commanding. She's not dictating. She's not telling him what he's going to do. She asks him, Father, let this one thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountain. Bewail my virginity. I and my fellows. Just this one request I have. It was Bush who said the whole narrative here. This whole narrative affords nothing more obscure and remarkable than this request. On what custom was it founded? 
Is there an intimation of anything similar to it in any other part of the Scripture or in anything relative to Oriental manners and usages? There is not. We know of nothing and must sit down resigned in our ignorance. Yet, this we know. Hers was a righteous sorrow. It was not carnal, but righteous, because she bewailed her virginity. I said it was a reasonable request. It was reasonable because in the words of Dr. John Gill, as she was a virgin, so she should continue. By which means she would not be the happy instrument of increasing the number of children of Israel. Nor of being the progenitrix of the Messiah. Upon which accounts it was reckoned in those times to be very grievous and even reproachful to live and die without issue. And so a matter of lamentation and weeping. She grieved her virginity not for her self-pleasure, but for what it meant for Israel. That she would not have that she would not have even any hope of opportunity to further Israel's happiness. Nor prosper the promise of the coming Messiah. This is the grounds of her lamentations. Oh, again I say to you this morning, how noble, how noble is the virtue of this lowly man. How lowly, how noble is the virtue of this lowly man. Oh, the inestimable value of godly motherhood. The inestimable value of godly Oh, if you have a godly mother, thank God for it every day. Godly mother. I haven't the time this morning, but if you will, if you will know something of its value, then I invite you to go back and read of Jacobin in that crisis hour in Egypt. If you would know something of the value of godly motherhood, I'd invite you to go back and read of Hannah. And she wept her way into motherhood. She wept her way into motherhood and then gave that child back to God. Oh, read of that blessed virgin. Blessed above all women, she. Not because of her virginity. Every young girl is born with that. I say read of that blessed virgin Mary. Yielding her very body to the infinite purposes of God. Whoa! Listen to the description of the psalmist as he describes the wrath of God on Israel when he was angry at them in Psalm 78 verse 63. He said, the fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to men. That's considered a curse from God. Not given in marriage. I ask you this morning how many today of our virtuous young women hold dear this purpose 
to give their lives to further the God of the kingdom and the kingdom of the God in producing a godly heritage. That is the highest honor of your calling on this earth. To produce a godly heritage. That's the reason for burning the candle all night. That's the reason for putting your hands to the spindle and the distaff. That's the reason for cultivating everything in your home and outside your home and all around your home. That's the reason for pouring out your labors. This is the reason to produce a godly heritage. And that was the purpose of Jephthah's daughter. I ask you, Father, one thing. Give me two months to be well. That I shall make no more contribution to Israel than this. Oh Lord, where do we find such women today? Well now, what will Jephthah say to this noble request? Verse 38. Go. One word and a period. Verse 38, one word and a period. I don't know, I'm not reading it into the text, but I am reading my own heart. I have a feeling I couldn't say anymore. He just couldn't say anymore. He couldn't talk. What other response can there be to so worthy a desire? Go. Fathers, I admonish you when their mothers at your hands have taught their daughters to follow after Christ and to seek the building of His kingdom above all other things, I admonish you to stand ready to say, And so our record concludes with this, verse 39. It came to pass at the end of two months that she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. There's no more solemn scene to be found in all the scriptures in this scene. Alas, what a scene. If you would have my view as to the meaning of this passage, I would defer to express my view to the words of another scholar who said this, Nothing can be more express than this statement. did with her according to his vow. In fact, says this scholar, except for the natural horror we feel at human sacrifice, there is nothing to cast the least shade of doubt upon the fact that Jephthah's daughter was offered up in a bird offering. In accordance with heathen notions, but as Josephus says, neither conform, neither conformably to the law nor acceptably to God. He says most of the early Jewish commentators and all the Christian fathers for ten or eleven centuries, Origen, Chrysostom, Jerome, Augustine, etc. held this view. Luther's comment is some affirm that he did not sacrifice her but the text is clear enough. Not conformable to God's law 
not acceptable to God. But he did it. The tragedy here described is so horrible that words utterly fail me to describe it. This scene is not to be compared as some that I read after hell compared this scene with that scene yonder on the mountain Moriah when Abraham raised his raised his knife to plunge it into the breast of his own son. This scene is not to be compared with that scene in Genesis 22 when Abraham raised his knife over, over Isaac. That scene was done, or rather should I say not done, at the bidding of God. But this was done as the fruit of folly. Folly shrouded in ignorance, propelled by carnal emotion and enveloped in paganism. Folly indescribably repulsive and reprehensible. Folly born of carnal passions and nurtured in grotesque impiety. Folly is what is written all over this scene. This is at one and the same time a scene of heinous evil. Jephthah's vow and glorious martyrdom. His daughter's sacrifice. Oh, Never were the fires of Smithfield Market, Brother John, never were the fires of Smithfield Market more gloriously illumined than these fires in Judges. Chapter 11. No better national memorial in any nation, in any era of time no better national memorial could have ever been made and hold a nation's loving tribute than that memorial established here in verse 40 the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter Never has a nation created of time, a day, an hour for a more blessed memorial than this. This great sacrifice. Now we have traversed more or less the content of this scene, of these scenes. By God's grace next week, we will undertake to draw from it lessons to our hearts. Would you stand with me please and sing again number 691. Peaceful hours I then 
joy How sweet their memory still But now I find an aching boy The world can never fill Eternal Holy Dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sin that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. The dearest idol I Whate'er that I do be, help me to bear it from thy throne and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God. Calm and serene, my friend, so pure light shall mark the road that leads me to the 